Well, good morning. I'm back again. You can't get rid of me that easily. Um, I just want to say, uh, be praying for Pastor Todd and his family. Um, they've got the opportunity to get away uh, this week and have some vacation time together as families. So we want to be lifting them up in prayer this morning, probably watching online. So I'll say hi on behalf of Silver Creek uh, to Pastor Todd and his family. Hope you guys are having a good time uh, together. Well, we're in week four of our series called We Believe. Well, we've been walking through uh, kind of the Apostles' Creed and kind of talking about some of the theological truths, the basic Bible doctrines that are represented there as a way to kind of talk about uh, what we believe here at our church and what are some of the most important essentials as a believer. And so today we're going to be looking at God the Son, Jesus Christ. Do you remember uh, the first week we talked about uh, that we worship a triune God, meaning that we have one God existing, coexisting as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus, uh, probably the most famous person, right, in the history of humanity, is what we're going to cover today. But we're not going to look at Jesus uh, through the world's eyes of, of what we believe or want to believe about Jesus. We're going to look at what Scripture says about him and ultimately what the Apostles' Creed uh, claims and proclaims of Jesus as well. So uh, without further ado, let's just jump right in uh, and take a look at what the Apostles' Creed says about Jesus. It says here, it says, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. There is a lot in there. But we're going to do our best to kind of give you a, a general overview of the things that are most important when we approach the scriptures about Jesus. And uh, in order to do that, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. If you want to turn there and just get ready, we'll be Hebrews chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 14. It will be on the screen behind me as we kind of walk through. But that's just going to be our starting point as we kind of walk through some of the important things to know about Jesus. Uh, and so what we're going to see in these passages is that ultimately there's four things that you need to know about Jesus kind of as a starting point. Uh, the first two kind of deal with the nature of Jesus and the last two kind of deal with more of the ministry of Jesus. Okay, so uh, these four things are real simple. Number one, Jesus is God. We kind of already tackled that in week one, but we are going to kind of discuss that further today. Number two is Jesus was fully human. So he was both fully God and fully man. Number three, Jesus is our Savior. And number four, Jesus is our high priest. Let's go ahead and look at Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. And we'll end at 16 as kind of our starting point this morning. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So number one is Jesus is God. 
In this passage, we see uh, this kind of high priest being introduced to us. Talking about this high priest that's gone through uh, the heavens and then claims that this high priest is Jesus, giving him the title, the Son of God. We see right in this passage, it's claiming that Jesus is a part of the Trinity, that he is the Son of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And uh, we might think about different people in the world around us that at least have some kind of respect for Jesus. Uh, It's very common for people to say, hey, I love Jesus, right? Jesus had some really good teaching. He said he was a great human that taught some incredible things. Other people might say that Jesus was a prophet, that he was a, only simply a messenger from God. Well, the Bible speaks differently. He's claiming that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the one true God part of the Trinity. And rea- reality is who, what we believe Jesus to be and who Jesus is really does matter. To kind of put an earthly example of this, you know, we give certain authority to people that we look up to in life, Right? And I'll give you an example of this. Uh, I, I've always loved baseball, uh, particularly watching baseball. I grew up about an hour south of Boston, so sorry, Guardians, but I am a Boston Red Sox fan. And uh, remember growing up and, and watching games and, and even listening on the radio back when that was a thing of the games when I was working and just kind of enjoying celebrating uh, watching this and, and listening to the sport. And so uh, in a broader sense, I was always enjoyed baseball, did fantasy baseball uh, for a number of years and love watching games, whether it's in person or on TV and, and different things like that. Uh, even when I was in middle school and high school, my grandpa, and I, I, you'll give me some street cred here, my grandpa did, and grandma lived in Cuyahoga Falls, and whenever we visited every night, do you know what was on the TV? The Indians. And we would sit, he would sit in his recliner and sit there and watch the games, and I would join him, and it was a great time uh, together. Well, when my wife and I were living in Chesapeake, Virginia, there was a couple local kind of celebrities, you may say, that were, became professional baseball players. And we had heard that it's common to maybe run into these baseball players. Uh, from time to time, you're going shopping, going out to eat, whatever it may be. And so someone who's a fan of baseball uh, was geeking out by, by this, right? I was like anticipating maybe this day would come. Well, one day I went to Subway. It was during uh, work, uh, grabbing a quick lunch to head back to the church office of where I was serving at the time. And a guy walks in behind me, and I'm like, I know this guy somewhere. I know, I, I even told him, I said, I can't put my finger on it, but you look so familiar. Turns out, it kind of finally clicked. I was like, the, standing behind me was uh, Michael Kadire, who used to be a professional baseball player at the time. He was playing for the Colorado Rockies, an outfielder. And I was like, it clicked, and I was like, I know who you are, you're Michael Kadire. And he was like, yeah, that's me, you know, like different things like that. And he was a real humble guy, really cool conversation. Uh, on the outside, I was playing it cool. On the inside, I was screaming like a little girl. It was really, really fun. Um, and then a, a little while later, I was visiting my wife, Tabitha. She used to, before we had kids, uh, was working at Starbucks. She was a shift manager there. And uh, I was sitting there. Oftentimes, I would come, and I would uh, enjoy a cup of coffee and study for, you know, Sunday or do, you know, some seminary work and uh, obviously stare at the barista who was making coffee from time to time. Uh, but in walks another uh, baseball player and got super excited. I knew right away who this was. It was David Wright, uh, who played third base for the New York Mets. Uh, retired now, but he was an all-star, great player as well. And um, I didn't have the courage to say anything. He came in, got his coffee, and he left. 
But it was cool because my wife was able to say that she served coffee to David Wright from the New York Mets. The reason I tell you this story is not just to simply brag about these two little interactions I had, because they're really not that special, but to me it was pretty exciting. But understand, we put sometimes people in a level of, of authority or celebrity in our lives, and they carry a different level of weight when we interact with them. If this was, you know, these two situations, these just regular Joe Schmoes walking in, like, it'd be like, oh, not a big deal. This guy wants a sandwich, a guy wants a coffee. But these were professional baseball players. So for me, I was like, super excited, super, you know, fan, fanboying over these, these guys that were in there. And when it comes to the identity and the nature of Jesus, in order to really follow him, we have to put him in his proper place. We have to see him as who he really is. Not just a man with good teaching, not just a prophet, but God himself. And the scriptures attest to this. Even in the Apostles' Creed, it kind of speaks of, of Jesus being God's only son, our Lord, but then even speaks of how he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And in even the, the Christmas story, it, it attests to Jesus being the son of God. Uh, in Matthew chapter uh, 1, verses 22 to 23, it says this, Speaking of kind of the, the scenario, the things surrounding the Christmas story, it says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And then it quotes from the prophet Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Even in the Christmas story, we see the, the Bible testifying to the fact that Jesus is God with us, the Son of God. And there's a number of times that the scriptures testify to Jesus' divinity. Uh, John chapter 1, 1 through 5, I think is a great example. The, this is the Gospel of John. In the very early pages, it says, In the beginning was the word, this word logos, referring to Jesus. It says, And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him it was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Again, proclaiming that Jesus really is God, and that when he came, he was the light of the world, that Jesus even proclaims himself into the darkness of the world, being its only hope. But Jesus himself testified about himself. There's a couple different places, but just to highlight, it won't be on the screen behind you, but in John chapter 8, he has a conversation with some of the religious leaders about his identity. And uh, they kind of, uh, to know just a little bit of background is uh, in the Jewish faith at this time, they elevated uh, Abraham as one of the kind of like uh, heroines of their faith, They're the kind of father of their faith in, in many ways. And Jesus makes a statement. He says, before Abraham, before Abraham, I am. And kind of speaking to the fact that he is God and that he's eternally existed even before Abraham, who they saw as the father of their faith. Other examples we can see in Scripture is that Jesus performed miracles. He healed the sick. He made the lame walk. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus showing his divinity even in his ministry. One of the biggest things we see from Jesus is that Jesus forgave sins. Now, this is important because this is not just simply saying that, hey, you forgive someone who's wronged you, but to clean somebody's 
uh, slate and, and kind of forgive their sin was something that the Jewish people and the religious leaders believed only God could do. And so there's a story in Matthew chapter 9, you probably remember this if you grew up in the church, where a man who was paralyzed was taken by his friends to a house that Jesus was preaching. They couldn't get inside, so they opened up the roof and lowered him down to Jesus. And one of the statements that Jesus says before he heals him is simply, he tells this this man, he says, your sins are forgiven. The religious leaders freak out, and the first thing they say is that he is blaspheming. Meaning that he is claiming to be God. He's claiming to do something that only God can do. And you know the rest of the story. He says, what is it easier to say, hey, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? And the man immediately is healed and gets up and walks for the first time. And so we see different evidences of this. But I think one of the biggest ones is that Jesus also rose from the dead. That the grave could not hold him. That he truly was the son of God. And here's the reality is, is I do think there is a false doctrine that is going around now that uh, overemphasizes, and I, I, I get it, I think it's important to say that, overemphasizes Jesus' teaching, meaning that the only value in Scripture is what Jesus says. The problem is if Jesus really is God, that when God speaks, Jesus speaks. Therefore, the whole Word of God, the entire Word of God matters to us. And so when we go to scripture and we're like, hey, I need to understand and know, what, is this right? Is this wrong? Is this true? Is this false? Is this good, helpful, and healthy for me? Is it, is it destructive? We can't just simply say, what did Jesus teach? That's very important. But also, what does God's word as a whole say? Because when we approach and understand that Jesus is God, we know that when God speaks, Jesus speaks. And he directs us to how we are supposed to live. So number two. Number one, Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus was fully human. He was fully man. The Bible tells us in John, uh, chap- sorry, John chapter 1, verses 14, it says, In the word, speaking again of Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We just talked about Jesus came, the Son of God, was born of the Virgin Mary, you know, conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he became flesh. But what we need to know is that Jesus experienced fully what it meant to be human. Jesus became like us. In fact, even in the passage we read, Hebrews chapter 4, it kind of speaks about, again, this high priest. It speaks about this high priest that has uh, gone through the heavens, that is Jesus, the Son of God. But then he says that he is not unable to sympathize with our weakness is, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. Meaning that Jesus experienced the same kind of temptations, the same kind of situations, the same kind of experiences that we do, But then the pastor says, yet he did it without sin. So Jesus became like us. And that because of that, he's able to identify with us and know what we're going through, which is such an important piece to thinking about how Jesus ministers to us. We'll get into that here a little bit later in the passage, or the message. But for now, I just want to kind of speak to a little bit of the examples of what we see in Scripture about Jesus in his humanity. Well, first off, obviously, we already talked about this. Jesus was born. He didn't just show up. You know, descending from heaven, you know, on a cloud, just kind of popped up out of nowhere as an adult human being. No, he was born as a baby. The Bible also says in in, uh, Luke 2 
This is kind of the, uh, uh, the story of where Jesus goes into the temple and he's kind of teaching the religious leaders. And at the end of that story, it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and his stature. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but Jesus experienced childhood. Jesus experienced puberty. Those are not things you talk about at the dinner table, right? Jesus experienced things that we experience in life. And yet he did it without sin. You know, other things we see in Scripture is that Jesus experienced kind of some of the basic human needs that we experienced. In uh, Mark chapter 11, it says that Jesus was hungry. In uh, Luke chapter 23, when he was on the cross, he says, I thirst. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is sleeping. I mean, so Jesus experienced things that we experienced. I mean, I don't know about you, but I hunger, I thirst, and I need to sleep. You know, Jesus, it's, it's interesting to think that Jesus could be like me at 11 o'clock at night craving a Taco Bell run. But he craves Taco Bell without getting hangry, right? He did it without sin, okay? And I'm just kidding. There was not Taco Bell back then, but there was Chick-fil-A because it's Jesus' chicken. So he probably craved some Chick-fil-A at 11 o'clock. No. But we see Jesus experience some of those basic things that we experienced, but even more so, we see Jesus experiencing severe human emotion from time to time, just like we do. We see him experiencing suffering, temptation. We see him uh, experiencing even mourning. One of uh, the passages I think that stands out to me is in John chapter 11. He gets news that his friend, Lazarus, is uh, sick on his deathbed. And by the time Jesus gets to Lazarus, Lazarus died. He was put uh, in a tomb, in a grave. He was dead for a couple days. And when Jesus heard that he had died, kind of probably one of the most uh, famous memory verses of all time, John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus expressed emotion. And, I, it, and the reason I think this is important to think about it Jesus, if you know the rest of the story, Jesus ended up raising Lazarus, calling him out of the grave, and Jesus, or, uh, Lazarus came back to life. Why, if Jesus, knowing that he had the power as the Son of God to raise him from the dead, why would he weep? Well, it's because he experienced mourning and loss the same way that we have. He is a personal God who feels and experiences just the way that we do. And just like Jesus raising from the, get, uh, the grave speaks to his divinity, the fact that Jesus died speaks to his humanity. That Jesus experienced death and pain and suffering. Just like it says in the Apostles' Creed that he went before Pontius Pilate where he suffered. He was beaten and he was crucified and he died and he was buried. A death that we all face one day. He experienced. Now I say all these things uh, to kind of speak to the nature of God. Because in order for us to understand Jesus' ministry, we need to understand the nature of Jesus. To understand how he ministers to us, you know, even back in Scripture as well as today, we need to understand really who Jesus is and how it relates to what he is currently doing to us and for us. And so we're going to move now from kind of the nature of Jesus into the ministry of Jesus. And so we'll start with this, number three. Jesus is our Savior. You know, this is something that we talk about quite often, right? This is the gospel that Jesus, the good news of Jesus Christ, that, that he lived a perfect life, a life that we could not live, and he died a death that we deserve, that if we place our faith in him, that we will be like him, resurrecting out of the grave, given new life in a relationship with God forever. 
We see here in Hebrews chapter 4, it makes this statement about this high priest in verse 14, that this high priest who has passed through the heavens. This implies and speaks about Jesus, how he had descended from heaven, that he had a mission, and that as a result, he kind of ascended into heaven, and it, and it kind of even declares almost like through the heavens all the way to the top, and now he's sitting at the right hand of God, which is part of the apostles' creed. That it's not an earthly high priest, that it's a heavenly high priest. That Jesus had a mission that he came to this earth for. This is something that we actually talked about at VBC this week. I had the privilege of being able to uh, teach our children, our students, about the gospel. And we talked about Jesus' mission, that, that he gives us a mission, but, but really, first and foremost, he had a mission, and he accomplished it through the cross. Um, I've told you this before, but when I was in high school and in college, I lifeguarded. Uh, that was kind of uh, the way that I uh, tried my best to pay for college and pay for bills and whatever it may be. And it was a good job, and I spent three years lifeguarding on the ocean in Massachusetts. It was quite interesting. There wasn't a ton of, like, major incidences um, where I had to, you know, do first aid or to save somebody. But there was one major incident that I was uh, somewhat a witness to. Um, it was on a Sunday morning. I remember it um, pretty well because uh, I normally start a little bit earlier in the day, but because it's church, I, mer I was able to uh, work out something with my boss to come in at noon um, just to make church a priority, to be there with my church family, to worship God, and to sit under the preaching of his word. And then I would go in at noon. And I knew there was a problem right away because as I was coming up over the hill, kind of where the beach parking lot starts, I saw a rescue helicopter hovering over the water. And immediately I knew something was wrong. So I went and changed into uh, my uh, bathing suit and my lifeguarding gear and ran out there as fast as I could. Uh, and found out what had happened is that uh, at 8 o'clock in the morning, the park would open, lifeguards would start working at 9 a.m. Somewhere between there, two young men, 14-year-old and 17-year-old, went out uh, deep into the water. What you need to know about uh, the beach I worked at, it was known for a really, really long sandbar. So you could walk out really far, but there is a point a little bit over a quarter mile where all of a sudden it just drops off. And then there's a current, kind of an underwater river that kind of sweeps uh, you out to deeper water. And these young men went out to that and uh, they found the drop off and they swam out and the 70 year old could not swim back and he was swept away. And immediately, as soon as our lifeguards were informed of this, they ran out there desperately searching for this young man. They called lifeguards from uh, other beaches uh, in the area to come and search. Eventually, the Coast Guard came with their rescue helicopter, and a number of hours later, they discovered and found the body. But at that point, it was too late. When I think about God's mission through Jesus, what he came to this earth for, when we say Jesus is our Savior— we are saying that Jesus' mission on this earth was to rescue us from an eternal death. We are separated from God because of our sin, and Jesus, God himself, came to rescue us from our sins so that we don't have to experience the same kind of tragic ending that we saw, that I saw that day when I was lifeguarding. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 19, verses 10, it says, For the Son of Man, speaking of Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. 
the fact that Jesus is God shows how much God loves us, that he was willing to give himself up. I mean, the first sacrifice that, that Jesus made for us was simply becoming like us. Imagine stepping off his throne in heaven, coming down to experience life as a baby. That he grew and experienced the things that we experienced, being tempted and suffering, and ultimately was beaten, hung from a cross, and experienced death, but not just physical death, but the weight of the, the sin of the world on his shoulders, paying the penalty of our sins so that we might be forgiven and rescued from it and have a relationship with God. The question is, again, how did that work? Now, you need to understand uh, the Israelites, the people of God, were underneath the umbrella of a sacrificial system. Meaning that in order for them to have a right relationship with God and continue to worship Him, they were required to make sacrifices, uh, animal sacrifices, to atone in, for their sin. And they had uh, an entire uh, kind of a clan, I guess you would say, or a tribe of the nation of Israel, the Levites, who manned the temple to help with those sacrifices. And, and they had a high priest that would go into the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice to atone for entire sins of the nation of Israel. They even had a sacrifice that if, if you sinned and you didn't know it, that you could do that sacrifice as well. And so... What kind of as we read into what Jesus has done How he became our savior Is that he became the sacrifice necessary To deal with our sin once and for all So the sacrificial system uh, was only temporary That you, you continued to sin You continued had to make sacrifices But Jesus made that final sacrifice once and for all That's why him becoming like us was so important See, in order for Jesus to be a sacrifice, he needed to be a pure, spotless lamb, which is what the law demanded for a sacrifice for sin. So Jesus, being fully God and fully man, lived a life we could not live, a sinless life. He was tempted just like us, experienced everything we experienced, and yet he did that without sin. And then he took the life that he had lived and put it on the cross for us became the atoning sacrifice needed for our sins to be forgiven for eternity. Jesus came, fully God, fully man, to die. Not to teach some good things, not to heal people, but to die so that we might be rescued from our sin. And that brings us to, to number, oh, sorry, the scripture even tells us this in Mark chapter 10, verses 45. It says, for even the Son of Man, speaking of Jesus again, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Number four, Jesus is our high priest. Again, in Hebrews chapter four, it kind of claims this idea that we have Jesus as our high priest. To think about the sacrificial system that they're under. Not only did Jesus become the sacrifice, but now he is serving as our high priest. The, essentially, the role of a high priest was to be a mediator between the nation of Israel and between God. Well, it was usually a human that, you know, a, uh, someone who was a Levite that would do that, that would be the high priest, which is super important, you know, a, a role that they played, but now Jesus takes over as the high priest. And this is so important because what we see in this passage, Hebrews chapter 4, and I'm going to look at that in a second, it actually shows us that this high priest knows us intimately that has experienced everything that we experience, but without sin. So not only does he set the example, but he also walks with us through our temptation and through our suffering. 
You, you think about the, the role of ministry leaders and the role of the high priest, not that it's the same as someone who is a pastor, but oftentimes the bigger the church gets, the easier it is to kind of come and go and not be known and not be heard and not really be connected. And, and you're going through things and you maybe are struggling to find ways to kind of walk with people. But what we know from this passage is that Jesus is our high priest means that he knows, he understands, and he's with us even in our suffering and our temptation and our struggles right now. I want to just read again Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 and kind of wrap this up on kind of a way of why this is important and ultimately how we can apply this to our life. Verse 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. He's encouraging his readers the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, because we have a great high priest who's passed with heaven, this, this son of God, Jesus, let us hold fast to what we believe, what we confess to be true. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We're not just going to a high priest asking for a sacrifice of someone who doesn't know us, but someone who knows us intimately. It says, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And I love verse 16. It says, let us then with confidence... Draw near to the throne of grace That we may receive mercy and find grace To help in time of need When I was in high school uh, I, I was hanging out with a group of friends At a friend's house And uh, I was a senior in high school And just like you guys know Sometimes in life You know, especially when you're younger Sometimes you make some not so great decisions and, uh, and you know, you've heard the phrase You know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes You've heard that before? If not, you're going to learn the lesson today. So uh, I had a couple friends, and we decided we're going to play some pranks on cars driving by. Stupid game, right? And so what we were going to do is, is we had uh, a group of friends line up on one side of the road, and then a group of friends line up on the other side of the road. And our plan was when a car came by that we were going to pretend like we are going to pull a rope. And just to freak them out, right? So we got ready. We had this whole plan first car comes it's barreling through the street we do it we pull the rope and the car passes through you can tell he's freaking out a little bit slams on his brake and gets out it gets worse he gets out and he's in full police uniform and we're like you're like it's that minute, that moment with deer in headlights You've got kind of like a fight or flight situation. I didn't know what to do, so I just stood there. I was like, I caught, I was in trouble. And he just yells at us and lectures us. And he's like, I should take you to jail and all these other things. And I was like, all I did was pull a fake rope, you know? And uh, like whatever, you know, I was freaking out, right? So there's certain authorities in our life. Sometimes when we're caught in mistakes or decisions or our sin that we do not want to be in the presence of. Right? That person that stopped could have been anybody else, but it happened to be a full-blown police officer coming from, from work. He probably had a really hard day dealing with some people way worse than me. And he was like, this is, I've had enough. And, and he let us know. Luckily, he let us off with a warning. But sometimes when we think about God, I think it stresses us out, and, and sometimes there's a lot of guilt and shame thinking about standing before a holy God when all we have to bring is our sin our mistakes, our mess-ups, our hurt, when we've been tempted and we failed, when we're suffering and we're struggling. But Jesus, as our high priest, allows us to come to the throne of grace with confidence. 
This throne is not a throne of judgment. It's not a throne uh, of, of, of mismanaged authority or abusive authority. It is a th- throne of grace. And that we, because of Jesus, because he's become our savior and forgiven us of our sin, we can go confidently before the throne of grace and in the midst of our temptation, our suffering, our struggles in this world. Maybe it's a, you know, for you it's a financial crisis. Maybe it's a struggle in your marriage. Maybe it's something you're suffering like a medical diagnosis. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a temptation that just won't go away and you keep giving yourself into. You can go to the throne of grace and it tells us in verse 16, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Why does this stuff matter? Jesus being our high priest, fully God, fully human, experienced what we had but did it without sin in order to go to the cross, that even now not only can we experience salvation, but we get to experience relationship with our heavenly Father, that there's no longer something holding us back, not even our guilt, that we can go to the throne of grace and we can receive mercy and grace in our time of need. I encourage you, if that's you this morning, as we close out in worship together, that you would simply come. That we're going to give you an opportunity to pray with people at the end of the service today, but if you just want to, as we worship, praise God and praise Jesus for being our living hope. Come to him, bring your struggles, bring your temptations and you will find mercy, and you will find grace in your time of need. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for what you've done for us on the cross and what you are doing now as our high priest. Lord, we thank you for being willing to give of yourself, Lord, to live like us, to become like us, to live a life that that we couldn't live and become the atoning sacrifice so that we can be forgiven of our sin. Lord, help us to live that out this morning, to receive you as Savior, and to come to you as our high priest as we put the needs in our life at your feet, knowing that we will receive mercy and grace in our time of need. And I pray this in Jesus' name.